Hello, fellow creatives and storytellers. Welcome back to the Story Podcast. If this is your first time listening, I am Harris the Third, and, and I. I- I always do that. Uh, it's okay. Let's just make it a part of the podcast. No. Let's keep it in. <laughs> Sam and I, we're always talking about like, how do we introduce ourselves? Do I introduce Sammy? Does Sammy introduce herself? You just take over. You know what? This You should just take over and run this. It's my show now? It's your show now. Yes. What do you want to talk about next? <laughs> oh, man. Wow. There's a, I, so I'm trying to decide what. <laughs> you took of, me seriously. Yeah. She's actually taking over. <laughs> That's awesome. Go for it. Um, I'm trying to decide what kind of dog I want. Um, Brandon said 2017 is a year we can introduce the dog in our family. I remember talking to you and Brandon about this a long time ago and Brandon was not on board with the whole dog thing. What changed? Um, well, he made a promise to me when we got married that Uh, it would be one year and then we could talk about it. And, um, that day has passed. It was, um, October 17th was the day. No, October 14th was the day we talked about it. And he's like, yeah, you can I'm, get a dog I'm thinking, next year. I'm thinking we should ask the story podcast listeners to hold you, hold him accountable. Let's so do that. It's at Brandon Harvey. At Brandon Harvey. With an E. It's spelled like yeah. D-E-N Harvey, mm-hmm. H-A-R-V-E-Y. You guys reach out to Brandon Harvey, insist that he honors his promise of allowing Sammy, a huge dog lover, to have her puppy. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Harris. I'm so I really glad I appreciate let you take over the podcast. Support, and I will appreciate future support from our <laughs> listeners. So thank you. I love that. Well, we let's are get, a community. We are a community. <laughs> we are a circle of friends. All right, let's talk about Hank Forner, an amazing guy. Yeah. Uh, his talk from Story 2016 is going live on the website. Um, so if people want to check that out, he did something really cool. Yeah, you do not want to miss this talk. It's really interesting. I've never seen anything like it. I will say that there um, is live painting involved, Yep. and it gets kind of messy. It gets messy, which the venue had their issues with, by the way. (laughs) Like backstage, everyone's like, what? Wait, 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 what? Why is there canvas down on stage? It's like, well, this next guy is going to put paint all over his body. I'm like, they're like, what? He can't do that. And what you guys don't realize is like there was a huge like amount of stress backstage. For about 20 minutes, there was a back and forth of is Hank going to be able to give his talk as planned? And so I'm so glad it worked out because Me it was too. amazing. Me too. Um, I put it at the very last uh, part of the last session on purpose. I wanted him to close out story because, um, well, for the reason why everyone realized that it was just a great way to go out and understand. Mm-hmm. And he gave us some amazing stuff to think about. So if you haven't seen his talk or you missed it or you want to see it again, uh, go check that out. Uh, go to the website, storygatherings.com. And if you're not following along on socials, that would be a great time to do that. It's at Story Gathering. Uh, if you follow online, you'll know when some of these talks from last year go live. You'll find out when these new podcast episodes go live and who we're podcasting with. Um, you'll also find out uh, if, the, when, if and when there's opportunities for you guys to weigh in on what kind of questions you want us to ask our guests. Ask our guests. Uh, that is uh, something new we haven't done before, but I think we should do in the future. Yeah. Uh, as we go to interview some of these people, it's like, hey, what do you guys want to ask them? What do you want to know? Yeah, yeah, we did that with live with Casey Neistat on stage uh, with Twitter. People tweeted in their questions. I don't see why we can't do that with some of our future sure. podcasts. So follow yeah. along on socials. There's lots of reason to do that to keep in touch on what we're working on. Uh, but let's get to Hank. Uh, for those who don't know him or who weren't at the conference, uh, he founded this organization called Adopt Now. Really interesting guy because he his background is... Um, teaching at Mosaic, this faith community in LA, and he left that to start Adopt Now, or maybe he did that while he was there doing that, but he was he he took a break from a tour to come to Story. He was touring with Demi Lovato and, and Nick, Nick Jonas, Jonas. talking yeah. about mental health, something you and I keep touching on. Seems yeah. like to be a thread that we keep talking about on the podcast. Um, just really, really amazing 
projects that have led him to where he is now and give him a really unique perspective on life and creativity, I think. Yeah. Um, So excited for everyone to hear this interview backstage with him. Um, So let's just jump right into it. Sounds good. Here's Sammy and I's conversation backstage with Hank Fortner from Story 2016. We're so excited to be sitting down with Hank Fortner. Hank, thanks for joining us, man. Sure. Get and ready. my French pronunciation of my name is Fortinier, actually. Fortinier. Wow. So Let's I do feel it that like way. when I have the, when I'm ready, I'm gonna make the transition. You, you should know? make it now. From like Ron Artest to Meta World Peace, I'll go from Hank Fortner to Hank Fortinier. <laughs> Fortinier. <laughs> yeah, I, I like might try to introduce you today on stage as Dude, Hank Fortinier. Yeah, that'd be dope. I need to, I need my first I could say story two thousand sixteen, that's where it happened. Big like, when did you transition? You know? Ron's, I remember Ron, the day. Ron said when Ocho Cinco what's that guy's name? Who was Ocho Cinco? When Ocho Cinco yeah. changed his name to Ocho Cinco, he was like I'm going to do that. And he wanted, he believes in world peace. So he wanted people to say world peace. So, oh man, that's so cool. I just want to be more sophisticated. Really. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I, when people introduce me on stage, it's Harris the third. It says, oh, like, nice. so, like, the, the most the sophisticated yeah. name ever. Yeah. 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 But the what's third. funny is young people, they come up to me sometimes and they're like, what's Harris three. And I'm like, Harris three. Oh they're yeah. Like they, like they don't understand <laughs> they don't Roman know. numerals anymore. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't know if that's like old fashioned thing or what. Or like yeah. legacy names. Now everybody's like, mm. you know, named after TV characters and stuff. You know? <laughs> Like, this is this is my daughter Khaleesi. I'm like, wow, you really went for that. TV characters. Yeah. That's interesting. I had a buddy the other day who said, uh, he said, my generation grew up with grew up with storytellers, and uh, the next generation is growing up with reality TV stars. Yeah, I totally thought that was true. really fascinating. Wow, that's so true. Yeah, which is just another version of storytellers because if you know people in reality right. TV, none of that is. It's all manufactured. It's not actually real. Yeah. It's almost more twisted because in a story you look at it. And you look at Friends and you look at Saved by the Bell, you look at these shows and you go, oh, yeah, totally. That's not real. Mm-hmm. But I can aspire to that level of community or whatever. Then to think that Kardashians or Duck Dynasty or these other shows, that that's actually the real day-to-day life, you might go, oh, no. You know, like it's almost yeah. more tricky to, totally. a, to a kid's brain who goes, oh, that is how they live or what yeah. they do, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't planning on that being a starting point, but. You know, hearing you talk about TV, knowing you're living right mm-hmm. in the heart of LA and Hollywood. Yep. Tell us about that. What are you doing out there? It's great. I'm like a, I'm a TV. I'm purely a consumer. Okay. I'm not a writer. Or a sure. Director. I don't yep. do any of that stuff. Yep. I just purely consume TV at a high rate. Um, I live in Los Angeles, and I've been. I started out. I moved to LA when I was 21 to be a part of a church called Mosaic. Yep. And I actually moved to LA because I was just. I grew up in Ohio, which is a beautiful place in the world to grow up. But I saw this quote from Mark Twain. And literally, I, when, as soon as I read this quote, I was I started planning my trip. I was either going to move to L.A. or New York. Mm. It's uh, He said that if the world ends, I want to be in Cincinnati, Ohio, because it's always 10 years behind the times. And I thought, i got to get out of here. I can't be where... You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's a great place to grow up, and I'm now having two kids, it's like, man, I would love like a quiet neighborhood like that. But at the same time, when I got to L.A., I was like, this is feels to me where the future's made. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go where the future was made. And it was either L.A. or New York, and I hated snow. So I chose L.A. LA? And I felt like <laughs> L.A. was an accessible future. And New York was, you had to have a pedigree and go to Cornell and be named Harris III. You had to be like a <laughs> legacy family to yeah. get in in New York. Yeah. In L.A., it felt like the wild, wild west. You could just, you just got in if you, were, if you hustled. Hmm. And... So I went to LA and quickly found Mosaic. I yeah. someone my first day there, my friend 
who I stayed with was like, hey, you got to come to Mosaic. So I was there for, I was on staff at Mosaic for eight years. I was there total for 10 years and uh, just had a blast learning how to build a church in a very creative and culturally open and spiritually open city. So that was awesome. And then I just transitioned off about a year and a half ago off staff and launched a, um, and I had done this already, but I went in to kind of drive it. I started a crowdfunding platform for adopt families to adopt children. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I do that and write and podcast and run run a bunch of cool stuff. So wow. yeah. What's the name of your podcast again? Uh, it's called Typically Hazardous. Yeah, oh, typically, wow. hazardous. Uh, typically it's, hazardous. It's amazing. You'll have to give it a listen. It's really, really incredible. Yeah, um, it's fun. Tell, give Sammy kind of the rundown it's, because I want our listeners to hear it too because it's kind of hard to describe. Ever, someone's asked me, uh, so how would you describe Hank's podcast? And I'm like, well, sometimes he has he, these guests on and so he's having conversations with them. Sometimes it's like a live talk and right. you can hear the crowd in the background yeah. cheering and clapping. Yeah. And other times I feel like, I feel like you got an idea and you reached for a mic and you're like, Hey, I got to exactly. tell you about this. <laughs> That's exa- And I'm in a hotel room somewhere and I was just like, I got to get this out of my head. Sure. And I think it came the, really, it, it was an expression of, I got to be a part of a global podcast through mosaic for seven or eight years. So over 3 million people had downloaded talks that I gave. Wow. Then when I left staff that stopped happening. So I was like, I have all these people in the world <laughs> that I've been having conversations with like that, where it's like, I had this idea. I got to tell you about it. And, so that's where we launched it, and I wanted—I didn't want it to be like the Hank cast or whatever, or the Hank podcast or whatever. I didn't have that. <laughs> the Fortunier. If I'd had a Fortunier, I would have gone. Maybe for it would have been worth it. But I—and I've always been fascinated by the etymology of the word adventure, because to me, that's what I want to be mm. for my kids and for our friends. Mm. And uh, the Webster's first definition of adventure is that it's an—it's an activity that is typically hazardous. And so I always um. held on to that phrase as that's how I know that I'm doing something that's leading to a life of adventure and everything Mm. that I've done in my life that has led to the life I wanted I walked through a door that was hazardous I walked through a typically hazardous door that was like okay this is a risk to move to quit to leave Mm. to start to invest to grow to totally risk all of it required that so I want I don't think adventure is uh reserved for climbing Mount Kilimanjaro I think you, you're on an adventure when you're a mom and when you're a dad and when you're running a business. And that's what I wanted to do was sort of, and that's what, how you'll see the podcast kind of transform is that it's not just the spiritual adventures of life, but I want to give people the tools and the inspiration and find the experts in the world that can help people with adventures like stress and adventures like being a dad and being mm-hmm. married and all those things. So I have a blast with that. Man, so good. So you moved to LA for that purpose because you were looking for an adventure and you said, you, you phrased it. It's where the future is created. Yeah. I love that. I hear a lot about that around Nashville now. Um, mm. Nashville feels like it's going through this renaissance moment where there's a lot of creative energy and a lot of people coming from LA, ironically, totally. yeah. to Nashville. Totally. Um, but I never know how to, um, I never know how to respond to the people who aren't quite ready to do that. So what do you say to the person who's listening right now thinking, I've always wanted to do that. Who's never had the guts to do it. Yeah. What were, what were you thinking in those moments? Was it scary to I'm, leave Ohio? I'm an inherently, if you're familiar with the Enneagram, are you familiar with the Enneagram? Yes. I'm a Sammy, seven, I'm Sammy. a seven wing six. So my primary emotion is fear. Yeah. So my husband's the same. Oh, he is. So okay. I understand you very well. So I'm like an entertainer <laughs> and all those things, but I'm like yeah. chronically afraid and uncomfortable with my own fear. So I think for the adventure for me, this is sort of like typically hazardous as an expression and everything I've ever risked has come out of like, uh, it would be like having a baby but not having like a human baby for nine months. Like I gestated that baby like an elephant 
for like what is it like seven years or something they gestate a baby uh, it just takes me a long time so i have five or six things right now in the atmosphere that i can't talk about hmm. that uh the only reason i haven't started them is because i'm i'm not ready to jump so if there's a person out there who's like, I want to create the future and I want to push and I want to risk and I want to do those things, I had to get to a place, I have to get to a place where I'm so overcome with envy that mm. I have to do it. So envy drives me probably more than anything. I don't think envy is a, envy isn't a bad um, emotion or a negative emotion. It's a sin in the scriptures and a lot of like even Marcus Aurelius and others talks about the, com- the, the sin of comparison, like doing those things. Yeah. The problem is that envy is actually a window and is a teacher because it tells you where you are lo- you are ho- you are holding back. Hmm. So I don't envy you. You can envy people like man. I wish my wife was as pretty as his, or I wish I was as tall as him. Or you can envy things that are out of reach and that's unhealthy. But when you're there's a certain taste of envy and we all know it. The kind where you go, I could do that if I was hmm. if I had started or if I was courageous or if I just went for it. Totally, that makes so much sense. Does that make sense? So yeah. I think I think envy is to me the window into always what I've what I'm longing for. So when mm. right now for me that's writing. So when I see somebody come out with a book and it hits a bestseller list, I just go, I'm just consumed. Totally. Not with like I don't want them to win. I'm consumed because I go, man, I should have started sooner. Yeah. But I was afraid. You know, yeah. it it, wow. it points to me what it is when I go, oh, man. So I learned everything I can from that person's process. Wow. And I probably shouldn't have written a book six years ago, but, um, but I've been collecting information. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and until I'm, like, ready to hit it. And then when you see the book, you'll know, like, yeah, that was the book Hank wanted to write, like, five years, six years ago. So. That's so interesting. Like, Sammy is all about Enneagram. And, you know, I took the test because I've got tired of everyone talking about right, it and me yeah. not knowing what's going on. Totally. And it's um, totally unscientific and it doesn't, yeah. it's like a more like a horoscope. <laughs> I'm like a, an eight or something like that. Yeah, I'm you're a eight. challenger. Yeah, you are. When I told her yeah, that. Yeah, you a are. Tra- My wife's an eight, so I really? know how that feels. Uh, yeah. And, but she was totally surprised to find out that that's what I was, which I found super fascinating. Totally. And, but guys, I think you are a healthy eight. And most of the eights that I know, so I'm a nine. And, the only people that I have a hard time getting along with as a wow, nine are you're eights. A nine. Yeah, I'm a nine. But the nine is the culmination of all the good things of Enneagram. So that's amazing. My sister in law is a really nine. Lucky. And as soon as we all read it and was like, she's a nine, we were like, yeah, t- of course she is a culmination of all the good things in the world. So it's so funny. Lose but her. that's what's surprising to me is she was, she was shocked that I was an eight. And then hearing, hearing you talk, like, I'm shocked that you were a seven if your primary emotion is fear, but yet you like embody the exact opposite of that in mm-hmm. my opinion like there's a guy that just mm-hmm. up on a whim decided to leave and go to LA and then up on a whim decided to leave and launch this massive organization that like yeah. you're a, a starter and a dreamer and you don't seem like the type that allows fear to get in the way in many ways I feel like you dance you dance with the fear and totally. allow it to play its in role. a sense yeah you don't I don't feel alive unless I am afraid of something so the minute mm-hmm. and what's what you'll what you see with sevens and even what you do even to not to 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 talk too much in terminology for your <laughs> listener who's like what's that with the numbers <laughs> like i'm a i'm an i'm an adrenal adventure junkie and to me if i'm not afraid i don't feel like i'm like alive yeah so some people are um inspired like erwin mcmanus who i w- was have been like taught and led and mentored by for a decade uh he's driven by risk and if he sees the chips on the table and he sees what he's risking for that return for me, I don't even need that to be like a real risk. I just need to be afraid, and it's awesome for me. Does that make sense? And yeah. I'm actually like a really low-risk person who – I know that may not look like it, but by comparison to what I have in my mind and the people I'm around, I'm super low-risk. I'm really conservative. 
but at the minute I'm afraid this this bad boy's an adventure. <laughs> so whenever I feel that trigger of fear, I go, oh man, we're on to something. So that's what yeah. I try to lean towards. And I think earlier in my life, I leaned away from that and my life got smaller. Um, in this series, season of my life and for the last five, six years, I leaned so towards that as fast as I can when I'm afraid of somebody or don't like something or if I'm, even when it comes to humans, if there's a person that I'm naturally nervous by, I get as close to them as I can because that relationship gives me all sorts of energy. Wow. <laughs> so, Living for the experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. And there's a quote by Abraham Lincoln where he said, I don't like that man. I must get to know him better. Hmm. And I, uh, that always haunted me as when I didn't like people, I just avoided them. And when people made me feel small or uncomfortable or insecure, I would avoid them. Instead, I get as close as I can to them and to feel it, force myself to feel their power, their energy, them as a person, and try to figure out wh- what I can learn from that person, whether it's their dysfunction or otherwise. So that's a lot of what the yeah. talk I'll give tonight is just trying to figure out what actually colored their world. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Abe Lincoln was a wise man. Yeah, right? Erwin is also a wise man. Erwin's a very what wise man. What would you man. say was the, the biggest thing you learned working with Erwin, being mentored by him? Ooh, biggest if thing I, I If I had to Irwin. make you pick one. Man, that's good. I, I did this thing at the Church of Scientology with Erwin once. We went to the Church of Scientology because we were doing like a... This is where the rumors start, I think. I know, People, totally, Someone yeah. hears so just So the Scientologist got me a job. <laughs> no, but we went to this thing and they had us take the stress test or they take you the little, the little hand things. And they said, who's the person who's helped you most in your life? And Erwin was standing next to me doing this thing. And I was like, I'm not saying this just because he's here. He's helped me He's helped me more in my life than any other person. So I think what I learned from him was just sort of an un- unbridled generosity, unbridled kindness. Um, he's just an insanely resilient human being mm-hmm. who pushes every envelope that's in front of him. And you can't tell him you can't do something. So that, I think he was in, in essence like my, um, my unrestrained self. Mm-hmm. If I was fearless, I'd have been like Erwin. Sort of like uh, there's a designer out there, it's Ralph Lauren's uh, nephew, his name is Greg Lauren. And if I was fearless, that's how I would dress. <laughs> Irwin was, if I was fearless, that's how I would live. And I think that's wow. what, I think he opened up that part of me that gave me the permission to lean into my fear. And when I was afraid, he got excited. He's like, oh, you're nervous. Oh, you're <laughs> afraid. And it made him more want to do a thing that I was afraid of. And it, it, truthfully, I think that's what he, he helped wire my brain to lean into my fear and um, not away from it. I think he, I'm listening to you talk and I'm beginning to realize, I think he's got like that, that ability to sniff fear from a mile away. Like he oh, can smell it. Yeah. I remember uh, I stopped by his house one time while in LA and I remember sitting at his dining room table and I was asking him this question, which I felt was more of like a, a philosophical approach to art. Mm-hmm. And like 15 minutes in, he stopped me and goes, you know, the only, like the answer you're searching for, like it's, the, that's not even the problem. You're just scared. You're scared to go try all this stuff. And yeah. I was like, Thanks. inside it started, what? well, I was like, no yeah. man, I'm not scared. Right. What are you yeah, talking totally. about? And then by the end of third 30 minute conversation, I was like, dang, Crying. he's right. Yeah. I'm scared. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm scared. I'm no, too scared great. to try. So, but yeah, he's just got that ability to, he's going to like sense it, like senses totally. the fear. And, but and, then he also has the gift of speaking life and you leave feeling like, dang, let's go. Like, right wage war on whatever that is that's pushing back and mine I got to hide behind him a little in a good way Hmm. where we would take a risk but he would take it on the chin if it was if it failed I remember I wanted to start a 9pm gathering downtown LA at this nightclub and he's like it's too late and I was like no it's a late night crowd I was totally working it fell on its face so fast and we had to shut it down and he was like 
okay, what do you want to do? I was like, we got to kill this thing. He goes, cool. He goes, do you want to do it or do you want me to? I was like, yeah, you should do it. So then he got up on stage and he was like, hey guys, this was an awesome risk. And we so proud that Hank pushed us to that risk, but we're not going to do it anymore. And wow. he goes, you know, what I'll do is I'll, I'll try to help us find another, like he took the blame for it wow. in a way, but gave me credit for wanting to do the risk. Yeah. And I got to sort of, I got to risk in a, in a consequence free environment in that sense. Um, for a, or in a concert, someone was paying the consequences sure. for yeah. me no, that's amazing. when I overshot. So then that was probably the biggest gift he gave me. Yeah, wow. man, what a gift. Yeah. So he, so he led you so much and now you're here today Yeah, living in LA, but you're 100%. also touring a lot, right? Yeah. You're out with, uh, Jonas and Lovato right yep. now. We Tell us about a, that. What in the world? So you're, we just wrapped North eight, America eight years as a pastor and now you're on tour with a bunch of <laughs> yeah, pop, right? pop stars. Well, like, and I started as a pastor, I was ordained in when I was 19 or something. So I've been doing it for like 15 or 16 years. And then I went straight to a, uh, pop star. So I met Demi Lovato's coach, a guy named Mike Bayer who's um, amazing. He's awesome. You can see him, see a lot of his stuff on the internet. He um, started a thing called Cast Centers, which is a mental health and wellness rehab treatment center in LA that helped Demi get clean and sober four and a half years ago. Hmm. And I met him and he said, I'm going on tour. And a lot of what I do is I help people with their talks. I help people put their talks together and piece it. Because mm-hmm. when you're a pastor, you speak a hundred times a year. And yeah. so literally 100 times 52 you know you're just doing it a lot i think let's let's pause on that for just a second because i think a lot of people don't realize that and there's probably a lot of people listening to this podcast who don't share your faith sure um, yeah but yet they they hear a lot of people and they're just like there's such an amazing communicator and i don't think they realize how often not guys fair. like you are yeah. speaking it's not fair you're, it's not you, fair and, and a lot of guys come up with a talk and they get the same talk for like a year and you yes. have to give a new one every single every week. single week and it's got to be amazing and these dudes who travel and give talks about their book and they give the same talk in phoenix that they gave in whatever i'm giving the same I'm giving a hundred talks to the same people yeah. all year. Hmm. So I can't reuse a story. I can't retell a joke. I can't so retell hard. an insight. I can't, you know what I mean? So your brain, you flex a muscle that now I sit with people and I do this every week where I sit with people or I get called in and I'll fly in and consult with a guy hmm. who goes, I wrote a book and now I got to do a talk and I'll help them piece together. Here's, there are actually three keynotes here, not one. And then I'll kind of wrap them together. So I was doing this for him and he goes, Screw it. I don't want to do it. You just come with us and help us get started. So I went to Atlanta, I think, or Miami, where we were rehearsing for the tour. And um, I helped Demi put together kind of one of her talks. I helped Mike put together one of his. And then they were like, you should come on the rest of the tour with us. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. That doesn't sound like me. But it's a clean and sober tour, obviously. So no booze, no alcohol. Um, it's a really, really healthy tour, totally vegan, gluten-free. Um, <laughs> of course it is. A lot of juicing and Nick, um, is super, super healthy and a lot of exercise. And there's a trainer on the tour. It was like, so it wasn't like, you know, I'm sitting in a hot box on a private jet hoping sure. that everybody is gonna, it was so healthy and everybody, what they do for fun is sleep and rest and get up early and work. And it was, it was incredible. Wow. So we did 40 cities. Wow. We just wrapped that. And then, uh, what were Demi, you doing? You just go on stage and give a talk? Yeah, so what Demi did is she brought Cast on Tour. So it's called Cast Cast on Tour. So it came on tour with her. So her show, Mike Posner would open up. It took a pill and a visa guy mm-hmm. who's an amazing human being. He would open up at 7, and at 6 we would start. Fill the room with however many we the venue allowed or however many we could, depending on sound check, whether it was in the main arena or in a separate room. And then I would open up and I would explain Demi's clean and sober story, why we're here uh, how to remove taboos around saying I'm bipolar or I'm depressed. And a lot of things I would pull is as a pastor, there's an over-spiritualization of mental illness that um, 
I think there's a hesitancy to do things like be medicated or take mm. medication to process through mental illness that's a real chemical imbalance. And so I share, I would share that part of my story. I would share my own um, struggle with anxious depression. I would share my own struggle with things like that. And then I would either tee up a speaker or I would tee up Demi or Demi and I would interact or Mike and I would interact. And the goal was that people, w- we would give people for that one hour the tools to live their best life. Mm. Um, whether And some of them would come up and go, I'm actually, I'm an alcoholic and I need to go to treatment and we'd find treatment for them. Some people would come and Very go. Very cool. Wow. Some people come up and go, my dad's an alcoholic and he, he's violent towards us. What do we do? And we would talk them through. I mean, it was an incredible, it was like one giant intervention. Wow. Whether that was for people with alcohol or tobacco or, or alcohol or drugs, or whether that was people who they just had limiting thoughts and behavior and we could kind of help break them through that. So uh, that, now the tour is wrapped up. Uh, you're probably back focusing on the podcast, all the other things you're working on. Yes. And something huge coming up. Yeah. Big. It's huge. So uh, we started Adopt Together four and a half years ago, and then about two years in realized that there was no such thing as World Adoption Day, which blows my mind because there's mm. a World Mountain Day and World Rivers Day and World <laughs> Oceans and World Donuts. I think yesterday was World Coffee Day. World, <laughs> yeah, a whole yeah, bunch yeah. of the people here at the conference were tweeting like, "Do we? isn't every day World Coffee Day? Yeah, like, exactly. Do we really well, need a like, day for that? We celebrate everything, right? But not okay. a single World Adoption Day. So uh-huh. uh, we launched it. And we invited people to put a smiley face on their hand and use the hashtag World Adoption Day, which if you look at the Instagram handles or if you just Google it, you'll see we got some really cool people to jump on board from Ellen DeGeneres to Shaquille O'Neal, Connie Britton, Peter Gruber, the owner of the Dodgers. We just got a ton of athletes and actors and people of influence to kind of do it. So the goal is twofold. We that kind of awareness drives so many donations to our families who are fundraising for their adoption. It's insane november is our biggest month not december like you would expect for a year end for a nonprofit, mm-hmm. but that kind of awareness just drives people towards being generous to families which is huge and then secondly we're petitioning the united nations to actually create an international committee where we would actually pull together a world adoption day and believe it or not they want petitions to get the ambassador's attention and in order to do that instead of written petitions i said we're going to do hashtags so um, we are printing all of these and delivering these as our petitions to people who say, yes, there needs to be a World Adoption Day. We need to celebrate that families are grown this way. And, um, yeah, so it's been a really cool How unique. experience. What's the story behind why a- adoption for you? Mm, that's a great call. Well, let me wrap that. So that's November 9th, so set your calendars. Cool. So just send this, drop this podcast before November 9th <laughs> so everybody can jump on board and smiley face and hashtag. Um, my family, I never went to school. So my mom, my parents were kind of renegade, anti-establishment people. So I never went to school. I went to a community college when I was 15. That was my first like class I ever went to. Um, but my parents, my mom said that God put her on earth to be a mother. And my dad said that God put him on earth to make her happy. <laughs> so we had she had three of us biologically and pregnancy was really 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 hard for her and she said but God put me on earth to be a mom and my dad's dad was adopted in 1929 and so he said on the operating table he's like well then we'll adopt or something like just trying to rescue that moment we'll adopt and she's like okay like it had never occurred to her but we started fostering and we fostered 36 kids over a seven year period while I was growing up wow. and then uh, that foster care process was brutal I bet. A really, really brutal process of um, taking in a broken human and then helping that human heal and normal. Yeah. And then having that human ripped from your home and 
to feel what feels like just totally unravel, like like building a house of cards and then just have somebody just come and light that thing on fire because now that kid goes to start over somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So that part was, that experience was brutal for us. And so we, my mom said we have to go permanency. So we started adopting. So my parents have now adopted eight kids from six different countries. Wow. So China, Marshall Islands, Bolivia, uh, Cleveland, which we consider a foreign country. <laughs> um and it's just, it's been incredible. So that was my family story. So there's 11 of us kids. I have five brothers and sisters, four four brothers and four sisters who were adopted. And my dad called. He had retired from his job and said, I think I'm going to start a foundation and just think about how you would be involved or what we would do. But we need to help families do this. Because my parents said they'd adopt 12 more if they could. They're just old. And they're old. They're 60. If you There can't be a 40-year gap. So the most countries, there can't be a 40-year gap in you and the child. So... Yeah. They just said, I can't keep going. So we started it up together, and now we've helped 2,200 families raise about $9.5 million. Wow. It's unbelievable, To bring man. their kids home. So I'm sure I'm sure you learned so much in the process of just <sighs> starting all that stuff. Yes. Just knowing that we're speaking to the creative community right now, thinking back through everything you've learned yes. of starting starting Adopt Together, getting an official like totally world adoption day going. Yep. What kind of advice? What would you say? Where's the wisdom to the creative community? Yeah. I think the re we, I had no idea what I was doing. Never, I'd never started a website or bought a domain in my life. And the only reason that we worked was not because I knew what I was doing, but because I had two things. I told our story over and over and over and over. So it comes back to the level of uh, people knew my family story. Sure. And that was the, all the credibility I needed. I didn't work in the adoption space. I didn't know what crowdfunding was. I didn't have a degree in any of this. So the two things we had was we I had a story, and that got me in every room. And that paused every dinner party. So I did, wasn't pitching an idea I had. It was I had 36 foster brothers and sisters I lost. I have eight I got to keep as my brothers and sisters. And there's 19 million kids who don't. And the 19 million part, everybody's got a story everybody's got the compassion fatigue of the world is broken. We know, oh my gosh. So when you see pictures Mm. of kids that don't have and things that aren't things and diseases and injustice, there's everyone sees that. But when you can interact with a person who has the story of that, it happened to them and they have a solution right in front of you. Like to me, it was the telling of the story that was our most important piece. So if if I was going to start over, I would start over there. The second piece is my dad is really, really, really freaking good at details. (laughs) And I think, I've also seen failures in my own life and in other people's where they you don't have a detail guy. So my dad was the head of HR and the systems manager for a company of, you know, with like 20,000 employees or something. So when it came to like filing with the IRS and making sure we had enough money in the bank and getting, you know, database engineering and that kind of stuff done, we were a, were a killer team. So we started it together because uh, he did all the hard work and I did all the fun stuff. Uh, and I think that was, I, I wouldn't, I won't start anything else now without that character, without that person. Cause I know that's my limitation is <laughs> and I'll get know, pumped, and I'll get pumped on the story and I'll be like, well, you had database architecture. <laughs> what do you mean? So that part yeah. didn't really work out. So a details guy and yes. then understanding the power of story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, obviously we agree with you. That's why we do what we do Good, as story. Yeah. We believe that stories matter and that they change the world. For and sure. That it's also the the most effective way to communicate yeah. any sort of meaningful idea or content. Um, well, I want to get this wrapped up soon because you got to go prep for your talk. Yeah. But yeah. I know yeah. Sammy's got a couple final questions for you that we try to ask cool. every single guest. Oh, so do it. These are fun. Do kind it. of My a Enneagram, rap- I already gave it to you. Rapid <laughs> fire. Rapid fire. All right. First question. What's your favorite book? Favorite book. Jeez. 
Oh man, that's really hard. Probably the Alchemist. I mean, I'm gonna know I a lot of people probably tell you that. Recently. Pretty common one, yeah. Yeah, it's good. That's probably the book that I've read and reread. Um, mm-hmm. The other book that that I've read and reread and like ripped the pages out of <laughs> is a, a book called "As a Man Thinketh." Um, and that to me was like, as a kid, as I read that book as a teenager, I just remember thinking, oh, this is big kid stuff. This uh-huh. is really big. So those would probably be my, my top two. Love it. Love you know. it. Second question is, what's something that most people don't know about you that you think is crazy? <laughs> <laughs> most things people don't know about me, I probably talk about myself too much. <laughs> so that's, that's a deep reach. <laughs> That's that I think is crazy, or that people would find crazy. Mm, Either, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a really good question that most people don't know about me. Um, that's it's a problem for him just because he's so transparent and tells so many <laughs> stories yeah, with his audience. Him, and even if you fight with your wife, you do it live on Snapchat or something, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. With, or oh, yeah. Instagram or something. Dude, the, yeah, yeah, the, I interview her and she just. <laughs> she, I have to bleep those out if she starts cussing yeah, at me. Sue and I, Sue and I were emailing. Uh, and I never got a reply for her, so I don't think I. I hope I didn't offend her, but I was like, she's uh, an unoffendable. I was like, no worries, just get back to me when you and Hank are done fighting. And the only reason I said that <laughs> oh, is because yeah. you guys were we like, were fighting. Actually, that was our anniversary, and it was like a miserable fight on Instagram. And I Instagrammed it because I was like, we might as well just tell everybody that we fight a lot. But it's a seven-eight combo, so you guys will totally totally get a lot of that. Um, I would say one thing that's weird is that I never tasted alcohol until my wedding day. Really? So I went my whole 28 and a half years without ever tasting alcohol. And then I had a sip of champagne on my wedding day. And that was my like... Party starter? (laughs) (laughs) I've still like never been drunk or anything. I just, I I find some alcohol tasty and some of it just purely disgusting. Is that like a spiritual thing for you or? No, I, my grandfather was uh, the only flavor. It actually was a spiritual thing to take the drink. Hmm. Um, I had grown up with people who were just when I smelled alcohol it was on it was always on the breath of someone who was screaming at me mm. and or it was someone or it was a can and it was a pile of cans and uncle so and so was drunk kicking my cousin under the table or it was alcohol was always in the context of abuse for me so whenever I would see whether abusing humans or abusing the, the alcohol like mm-hmm. um, even when I would see friends in high school drinking it was always to throwing up or to making bad choices or mm-hmm. or doing something stupid so I was always I was always super judgmental so when I see a guy Coors Light was always the one my uncle drank when he would get violent and when I would see someone with Coors Light I would just go okay okay I know you where you're at bastard. <laughs> you know like I I was so judgmental that mm. I think having never tasted alcohol when people would have a glass of wine or something I could go oh I bet that's the beginning of the end for you and so for me the drinking of it was a letting go of that like superiority because I just turned into an arrogant douche about (laughs) alcohol in general like whether or not we were going out for drinks and everything was dry and so to have a sip of alcohol which to me was was releasing that sort of like um just douchiness that I held over and that judgmental for myself that this can be done in moderation and it can be done in a way and uh, even as a pastor, Jesus made wine. So um, it's weird that we would turn that into grape And when juice, they ran out, he weighed more. Yeah, exactly. He made wine for drunk people, if you want to like. That doesn't mean he drank it or got hammered or whatever, but it just means that I, ha- I had to let go of that sort of black and white thing sure. for me. So I think totally. that's, a lot of people don't know that. Love that. Third question, last question. Yep. What have you found to be your greatest source of inspiration, especially mm. when you're in a rut? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I think my greatest source of inspiration 
this is also one of the greatest sources of uh, dysfunction and pain is new ideas. So it's dysfunction and pain because then I have a 30 of them and then I get overcommitted and then I'm having panic attacks. Mm-hmm. But I think the when I'm in a rut and I need inspiration, I need something, I need the new, the energy of newness for me is really, really important. And so much of, for me, of creating and so much of doing and so much of writing stories and so much of even things like marriage and things like parenting and things like relationships is finding the newness in it always. And... To me, that's what pushes me to evolve, and that's what pushes me to pull out. When I'm in a rut, I'm always, um, I find myself in a rut because I feel like that thoughts creep in my mind, like, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Things, words like it doesn't matter, or it's already been done, or everyone will expect that, or it will be stupid. But anything that I can find that's new, I will hunt for that, like, like, um, like it's water in a desert. Like, just something that feels like there's the, and it's tiny. It's not like a new house, or a new couch, or a sure. new marriage or something like that but it's what's the newness here like what's, what's the, the new perspective what's the freshness yeah. yeah that's what i think what i hunt for so much love that man thank you awesome. yeah. we love your story thanks, thanks for guys. being a friend to story yeah absolutely and, uh, thanks for being here thanks for having me man i'm glad glad to be here i can't wait to go go um rock the stage rock the stage Woo! yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> man, here. thanks love that conversation with Hank. That was really, he's an amazing person. I love how he follows his, just those organic passions and he, that phrase is great. Yeah. I love that phrase. I think we adopted that phrase a few weeks back with Britt from the giving keys, um, talking about just following what feels just comes in your lap and then running with it. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I love how he jumps in all in. He's working on world adoption day. He's mm-hmm. on tour with Demi and Nick about talking about mental health issues and supporting them. And he also has this amazing podcast where he talks about other issues that he's passionate about. Yeah. He's an incredible person. Yeah. This is, this is what I love about story. Um, and not to promote story too much, but at the end of the day, like I, the reason why I stepped into this leadership role is because I'm truly passionate about the things that we're doing as a community and this yeah. movement, because there's, there's lots, and you and I've even talked about this, even with some of our guests, like the, the idea of the word creative and is it a, is it a word that we use to describe people and projects yeah. or is it like a noun, like you are a creative. And I think what I love about story is we're constantly reminding people of, uh, of what true creativity is. Because when you, when you see someone like Hank, you're like, well, he stands on stage and gives talks or he's a social entrepreneur because he started this nonprofit to help Mm -hmm. adoptive families. Um, or he does this podcast where he talks to people about everything from creativity to spirituality, but like, is he really an artist or a filmmaker or, and he is, or is he really a storyteller? Yeah. And he really is. He's a storyteller. Um, I think that's what he mostly is is a storyteller because it's the thing that all of those different projects have in common is that he's a storyteller and everything that he's done does, even if it's not in a creative industry like filmmaking or photography still requires a ton of creativity. I love how diverse our community is. Me too. Paint is a great, Hank's a great example of that. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of World Adoption Day, you mentioned that. We should tell everybody that's coming up, and that's a huge deal. Like, that's an actual 
holiday. Like it's <laughs> on the calendar. It's on the American calendar, World Adoption Day. And that is coming up on November 15th, which is why we planned this episode at this time. Um, even if you've never adopted a child, um, this doesn't mean this isn't applicable to you. It's something that is worthy of spreading the word about. Definitely worthy of your attention and support. You can learn more at worldadoptionday.org. That's worldadoptionday.org. Hank's personal website, he's got lots of cool stuff like the podcast that Sammy mentioned, Typically Hazardous. That's a great podcast. You guys can check that out. All the info is on hankfortner.com. His last name is spelled F-O-R-T-E-N-E-R.com. There's an extra E in there that's easy to miss. So check out hankfortner.com. And the, the organization that he founded... Uh, adopt together that's just simply adopttogether.org so check out all the awesome stuff that hank is doing Um, and guys thank you so much for listening to this podcast not just this episode but in general our subscriber base has doubled just in the last two weeks alone which is really exciting um i feel like I'm not very cool, but we're talking to like really cool people. Yeah. Sammy is obviously very, very cool. What? Uh, <laughs> I don't think uh, so. But I'm just, I'm, I'm genuinely humbled and just impressed that people are engaging with this content. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So. It's really encouraging to see that yeah. there's other people out there who also are on board and passionate about using their storytelling gifts mm-hmm. to make our world better yeah absolutely so uh, this is this matters to us that's why we invest the time and the resources in doing this week after week and we really appreciate you guys uh the people that are tuning in and listening uh thanks for all the notes of encouragement for letting us know how you've been inspired continue to send us your feedback it's really easy to send feedback you can do that online through our social media accounts or you can always shoot us an email through our website that's storygatherings.com you can reach out to me or sammy sammy is at sammy harvey co I'm at Harris the third, Harris III, like the Roman numeral three. But we'd love to hear from you guys. But thank you for spreading the word. Uh, we want to continue to keep that subscriber count going up um, and our weekly downloads going up as well um, so that we can continue to do this amazing show for you guys. So spread the word as soon as this podcast is over, which is in about 30 seconds or less. <laughs> tweet about it. Post about it. Um, help us spread the word about what we're doing. As always, thanks for listening to the Story Podcast. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>